All right. Good morning, Harvest. Hey, new year, new, new, new socks. New year, new socks. Okay, how many parents do that thing where you have to give your kids stuff anyway? So you wrap it up in pretty paper and you pretend it's a Christmas gift that it's just like, you know, it's your socks. It's like, but new socks are great, aren't they? Seriously, like I love new socks. Like new socks feel so wonderful. It's great to put on a pair of new socks. Don't you think so? Come on, are you with me here? Like, oh yeah, it makes you feel like rich. Rich, I can't even get the old ones off. Here, here, look at, look at this, brand new socks. This is like Christmas all over again. Oh, this is great. Like, that's just luxurious. Nobody's worn these before. They're brand new. I just love putting on new socks. I make me feel rich. Rich, I feel like a million dollars. That just feels so good. Do you know that for the not, not exorbitant dollar amount of like $760, you could buy enough socks to put on a brand new pair every day. You could feel like a millionaire, man, like without having a million dollars. That's a, that's a good idea, right? And so like, hey, little known fact, new socks are really important for homeless people. You, you know what? You think about it here. Uh, you always got your shoes on, nowhere to take them off, nowhere to dry them out. Um, foot problems go with being homeless, along with a whole whack of other problems, health problems. And so uh, uh, having uh, new socks is really important. And so uh, we, we hand out these emergency packs once in a while. And they're just filled with a bunch of stuff that somebody might be able to use if they're kind of like homeless. And, and there's a pair of socks in there. And so uh, that's really important. Another important thing is that our local TSC store, the last two years in a row, have given over 2,500 pairs of socks uh, away, right? Isn't that great? Um, they, they, they offered them to us, and I thought, hey, I wouldn't have to buy them then. I could have a new pair. No, 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 that's not why they give them. And so we've uh, passed them on to the Busby Center and encouraged them to, to do that because, um, yeah, a lot of people need new socks. So in Canada, it's really important to have good socks because when you go to somebody's house, what do you do? You take your shoes off. So, you know, if somebody's from the U.S. and they're visiting here and uh, they're about to go visit somebody, uh, the guy's wife says, honey, honey, you got to put on some new socks, some clean socks, because when we get there, you take your shoes off. It's really weird, but yeah, everybody takes their shoes off and say, you don't be sitting there with a big hole in your toe, you know, like, it's uh, so... Uh, so I'm just going to leave my shoes off because um, I'm going to bring God's word to your place today. You're willing to do that? Are you willing to receive God's word into your uh, house, into your place? And so let's do that. James chapter 2. And uh, James is going to talk about some of these things. So James chapter 2. If uh, Pastor Dwayne talked to us from Philemon last week about how we share the faith. Not share the faith in telling others about the faith, but we share the faith. The way that Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 2, uh, where he says, hey, if there's any, if there's any uh, comfort uh, from, uh, from love, uh, he's saying, hey, we share God's word, and we share God's love, and we share God's spirit, and we share God's mercies. We share these things. We live them out together. That's the way that uh, Dwayne was talking about how we share the faith, and um, James is talking about that same thing here in chapter 2. A living faith, a living faith is something that we live out together. 
And so he says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing and brand new socks comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing who desperately needs some new socks also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality... You are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to, those, to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So James here describes um, the way that we live together as the people of God, as holding the faith, holding the faith. Uh, now, what does that mean? Like you hold to the faith or, you know, well, let me, let me try and show you what that actually means. When I hold on to something, it changes how I do everything. Like right now, I kind of got one hand um, or if you got your bags of groceries, you know, and you're carrying them all and you come and you try and open the door and you can't even hit the doorknob because the groceries are in the way. So you try the knee thing, right? And, uh, and it's just, there's some things you can't do if you're holding on to stuff or, or if you're, if you're trying to put some things together and you got two of them put up there and you're trying to put the third up and one falls over and you pick it up and the other one falls over and somebody's just standing there watching you struggle, you go, could you mind just holding something, right? And yeah, here we are. And when you're holding stuff, it, you can't do some other things. That's what it means to hold the faith. When I hold my faith, there's some things that I can't do. And some people say, that's, that's just too limiting. I, 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 I want to be free. I want to be able to do what I want to do. And so let's be honest here. If you're like me, sometimes, sometimes you put your faith down. So you can go and pick something else up that maybe you shouldn't be picking up. And then, you know, you come back and you pick up your faith again and you come in here and we sing and we worship and we praise God. And I have no doubt. I have no doubt your sincerity as you're expressing praise to God. But, um, but then next week, you know, like I, I just really like that other stuff. And so I put my faith down and... Sometimes I put my faith down when I go to work. And how I act at work isn't... If I took my Bible to work, if I took my faith and held my faith while I was at work, then, then maybe because everybody knows I'm holding the faith, I, I might not talk like I talk. And some of us put our faith down to go to work. And 
Sometimes when we come home, we forget to pick it up again. The way we talk at home can be pretty. I told you I was coming to your house. And so James encourages us to hold the faith. And so uh, in 2020, I want to hold my faith more consistently. I want to hold my faith closer. I want to hold my faith more consistently than uh, maybe I have. And I hope that's your hope too. And so James is encouraging us. If you have a living faith, you got to hold on to it. And it stops you from doing some things. And some people think that's so limiting. But let me tell you, it's not limiting. It, uh, it actually protects you and helps us to realize our dependence and our reliance on God in the daily activities of a, a living faith uh, Listen to what Ed Ed Welch says. Uh, He says this, Obedience to Christ is not a burden. It points the way to being truly human, unhindered nearness to Him, and the pleasure of His hospitality. God welcomes us in, and He says, "I'll, I'll be with you if you'll hold the faith. And it's, it's not a limiting thing. It's a freeing thing. Uh, James calls it the law of liberty. And, and the law of liberty is to love God and to love others. And it's a freeing thing when I don't have to try and please somebody because I'm pleasing God. It's a freeing thing when I live for Him and I don't have to be afraid of anybody because God's in control. And I'm trusting him. And so I don't have to be afraid of anything. And I can, uh, because of my identity is in Jesus Christ and I'm safe in him. And if the worst of the worst happens, I'm going to be with him. And so, like, I don't have to be afraid. It, the law of liberty literally sets me free. I can live for God alone and not fear anything. And so it's the law of liberty. And James says, pick that up because it's not something that hinders you. It's something that frees you. So we're going to hold on to faith in 2020. Let's just quickly define faith. Faith is uh, important. uh, As we read through the Bible, we find out that faith has some elements. First of all, you have to know something. You have to know something, and then you have to actually believe something. I know a lot of things, and I'm not sure I believe them. But if I know it, I have to believe it. And then uh, I have to trust it. I know a lot of things that I believe, but I don't trust I don't really trust myself to it. And then uh, even when I trust it, I then have to make a commitment. I have to commit to actually living it. And that's what the book of James is all about. It's about this step of commitment in putting your faith into action. And when you do that, then you receive assurance. Uh, Isn't it the truth? We all want the assurance without the commitment. I want to know that God's for me. I want to know this is going to work out without ever actually making the commitment to trusting him. But that's not faith. And so James says in 2020, we want to hold on to a faith that is committed. I want, I want in 2020, I want my faith that I hold to, to be more committed than I have been. And I hope that's your desire too. And so... Uh, but listen to one more thing before we actually get into God's word here. Uh, well, we're in God's word. Um, when I commit uh, my faith, it's to a person. I'm holding faith who, James says, uh, my brothers, uh, do not show partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. 
He's the Lord of glory. We've been singing about that. We've been lifting up his name in worship. How great it is to do that in song. How great it is for someone else to do that in song and I sing along. It's great when we can lift up his name because he's the Lord of glory. Can we just take a moment and just stop and consider who we're talking about? Who we're putting our faith in for a moment? Um, Jesus is the Lord of glory. In Colossians chapter 1, we read he is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. He's the exact image of God. There's no other way to say uh, Jesus is God. That's how he can represent God and show us God. He's the first of all creation because, why? Uh, Not because he was created. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He wasn't created. Created everything. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he should be Preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, listen to this, through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or on, in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He's the Lord of glory. And because he's God, he could die for every man. Because he's a man, he could die in my place. He could pay this, the price of my sin. But because he's God, he could pay the price of all of our sins. So he he came to reconcile us through his cross. He's the Lord of glory. Do you know him? Are you trusting in him? I want to be more committed to this Lord of glory. Look at what it says in Psalm 24. This is another, a whole psalm about Jesus. It says, uh, uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell there. He owns everything. He owns it all. I can trust him. He, he's got his hand on it all. It says, He has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Listen to it. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Uh, we're going to talk about some of that in a minute. Um, I want to live more like that in 2020. Hey, hey, listen, a Jesus is the one that lived that life. I, I have to confess, I, I don't always have a pure heart and clean hands. I don't. Um, but Jesus lived that way. He lived his whole life perfectly uh, without sin. And uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, I can live that way. Not because of my power, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit in me. Because Jesus lived that life for me, the the Holy Spirit brings me the power of his life to help me live that way. And so, um, the Lord of glory comes to me and helps me to live that way. In 2020, I want to be more committed to living that way with clean hands and a pure heart in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how I want to live. Uh, Jesus uh, showed me the way and did it for me. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And then uh, uh, the psalmist says this, and it's a prophecy about Jesus coming to Jerusalem. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? It's Yahweh, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. 
He's the Lord of glory. It's talking about Jesus. He's the King of glory. Lift up your head, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He's the King of glory. We worship the King of glory. I just, I hope that you can lift your eyes and see who Jesus is. Hold your faith in 2020 in this person who's the King of glory. And he comes to live with you. And we share him together. How exciting is that? That's so great. Hey, listen, listen, who wrote this? Who wrote this? James wrote this. Do you know who James is? James was the brother of Jesus. James, who grew up with Jesus, says, hey, listen, we hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory. Now, just think about that for a minute. Because I had five brothers. And ain't none of them the King of glory. (laughs) And I can just imagine. We don't know what it was like. It's never described for us. But I, I like to imagine things. And so I can just imagine James... And his brother Jude, who also wrote a book of the Bible, and Jesus. And they're all just like running around and they're having a race. And James wins. And Jude says, you little punk, you cheated. I'm going to punch your lights out. Because that's what happened in my house. My mom just said, just go downstairs and kill each other quietly. But Jesus said, great running, James. That was great. Good job. You really deserve to win that race. You know, how do I know Jesus would say that? Because uh, Paul says that he was without sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's how I know. I don't know. I can picture what it was like. And, and for James, like, you know, remember when, when he and his brothers and sisters and, and mom said, we got to take that boy home. He's crazy. He's doing crazy things. They're saying he's healing people and and uh, we got to go get him and jesus said yeah 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 no this is my family and then what, what, what must it have been like for james when jesus was dead on the cross well it's all over now i can just imagine like maybe he was filled with fear because like he, he, that dude was like being bad and the romans don't like him and uh, you know probably his brothers are just like him maybe they were coming after him too i i don't know But then Jesus rose from the dead. And James saw him. And it changed everything. He's not just his brother. I can just imagine him going, Mom, 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 like, this is like weirding me out. What's going on? And Mary says, well, you know, like there was this angel and the power of the mighty overshadowed me. And, uh, and uh, I had your brother, Jesus, and I was still a virgin. And James, TMI, like, whoa, this is crazy stuff. And, but he's alive. And now James has grabbed a hold of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, he's the Lord of glory. And I'm a witness became the head of the church in Jerusalem. Can you imagine when Paul came along? Paul spent some time with Jesus in the desert, getting instructed on all the church and all this stuff. I can just imagine James saying, oh yeah, describe his hands to me. Did you really see my brother? Oh, not just my brother. He's the Lord. This is James saying, our faith is in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Do you know him? Have you trusted him as your savior? He's the Lord of glory. Welcome him in. 
and live for him. Well, that brings us to this then. If uh, that's true, then how should, how should we hold this faith? And James has a particular word for us. He says, my brothers, uh, show no partiality as you hold the faith. We're holding faith in the Lord of glory. And James is warning us here. And like, um, why is this important? Um, because he wrote it down. He says, don't show partiality. What's that? Well, positively, it's like favoritism, right? Like you're showing favorites here. Um, you know, every parent kind of wrestles with this. Let's be honest. Do you have a favorite child? Ah, uh, do you? I tell my daughter all the time, you're my favorite daughter. She goes, Daddy, I'm your only daughter. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, no question about it then. You're my favorite daughter. Uh, what do I do with my three boys? Now, my mom, my mom always told me I was her favorite. She, I, I she came, she said, you, honey, you're my favorite. Then I found out, You know what? She said that to all my brothers too. (laughs) Oh, that woman. I'm telling you. So positively, it's favoritism. Negatively, it's prejudice. Prejudice. Negative assessment of someone. You're not my tribe. You're not my color. In its worst forms, it's racism. It can be worse than that. It's it's pride. Pride. I'm better. You don't belong with me. And James says, when we're holding the faith together, don't show partiality that way. And so he, uh, uh, of course, goes to the, goes to the age-old issue of, of, um, of rich and poor. And uh, says, when, when a guy comes in and he's dressed fine... And uh, you welcome him and make a big fuss over him. And somebody else comes in and you're obviously they're poor. You know, they live in the wrong side of town or they don't own a house. They rent and, well, that's not bad. And, uh, you know, all this stuff, all these, all these things. And uh, we treat them differently. And James says, um, hey, 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 that's, that's the wrong standard. Uh, why is that? Well, number one, it's the wrong standard because... Uh, it's an inadequate way to assess somebody's faith. That's an inadequate way to assess someone's faith. How does God assess someone's faith? Well, look at verse 5. He says, uh, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? What is God's standard of assessment of all of us when we come in here? Um, Are you rich in faith and do you love Jesus? Now, God's not against rich people. That's not the point of this. Um, Because all of us in here are rich people. Just in case you haven't checked the rest of the world. God's looking, God's standard is do you love Jesus and are you rich in faith? And nothing outward can help me understand that. And I know it. Because you guys... You guys have welcomed me in. I'm dressed nice. I got brand new socks. And you've given me the best seat in the house. And you're all listening to me. And you're honoring me. And, and uh, you haven't got a clue. About how much I love Jesus. And how rich in faith I am. But I know that some of you put me to shame. 
Because I know that some of you love Jesus deeply. And I know that some of you are incredibly rich in faith. And so the outward standards are not a way of seeing these things. And so it's an inadequate way to assess faith. It's indicative of a heart problem. James says, hey, wait, wait, when you do this, have you not become judges with evil thoughts? You know, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm not really thinking badly of anybody. I'm just, you know, trying to, why? Why are you trying to whatever you're doing when you're treating the rich guy nicer? Um, we're going to come back to this, but, but it's evil. It's, an, it's a heart issue. You have evil thoughts. As a matter of fact, James goes on to tell us we're sinning. Well, we're going to find out about that in just a moment. Uh, finally, it's actually inappropriate in light of actual reality. I, I don't know what's happening around uh, here, but I know in James's time, uh, he's saying, hey, wait, wait, wait. Isn't it the rich people who are blaspheming the name of Christ? Isn't it the rich people who are using their riches to oppress you and drag you into court? Why are you so enamored with the rich people? I'll tell you why. Because they want to be one. They're using the wrong standard and the desires of their heart are being exposed. I want to be one of those guys. And that's where James uh, goes next here. He says, it's the wrong thing to aspire to is to be rich. Being rich in faith is the thing we ought to aspire to. Life Action uh, says this. Life Action is a a group that uh, does revivals in the church. And uh, they write, uh, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Uh, What is the desire of a proud man? He only has one, really. He wants to be lifted up. He longs to be known and honored, recognized and revered. His arrogance makes him believe that he deserves such acknowledgments. And like wood to a raging fire, he looks for every opportunity to feed his ego and increase his standing among men. The paradox is that in God's economy, exactly the opposite of what he desires takes place. Pride lowers a man. Humility exalts. A desire to be known will cause a man to be known for all the wrong reasons. The problem here is that's a heart problem. The reason that they showed the rich man to a good place was because that's what they aspired to. It was a fleshly desire to be seen by men and to be known and to be cool and to be whatever instead of a desire to love God and to be rich in faith. And, and their desire was expressing itself in how they treated others. By, by going to an outward standard and the, the measure by which they were measuring others is what they actually aspired to. And James says, that's a heart problem. That's a pride problem. That's a sin problem. And yet, this is often what we aspire to and measure others by. Here's some fleshly outward standards that we use. Um, How about some of these ones? Um, Affluence. We're talking about that in James. How rich I am. Um, What's another one? All the beautiful people. Uh, Appearance. You know, how good I look. I do my best, but you know, 
it's whatever it is. Um, some of us are just born lucky, I guess. Uh, assets, the stuff I have, like houses and cars and clothes and new socks. Um, my academics, how smart I am. Hey, this is a problem in the church. You say, oh, no, 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 we're, we're not all about degrees and stuff. No, okay, but um, let me just tell you that um, how much you know about the Bible is often the standard by which we measure people's spirituality here. And I'm just here to tell you that Bible knowledge does not equal spiritual maturity. Because I know, because I'm like an Old Testament scholar. And I don't love Jesus the way that I should. I got some work to do in 2020 to be more committed in my personal faith and commitment to the person, the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. Because let's be honest, all of us kind of measure some things according to these standards. We feel like we're doing pretty good compared to, oh, just pick somebody. Pick low so you look high. It's pride. What else do we do? How about my accomplishments, what I have done? My abilities, what I can do, my athletics, that's a big deal in our culture. Um, my attitude, how much moxie I have. Like, yeah, just like, um, I got it, man. Just don't mess with me. Okay, okay. Man, how much attitude do you have? Um, my aptitude, how I can adapt and survive. And Listen, these outward standards are not how we should look at each other. Holding faith in the Lord of glory is what binds us together. Uh, James doesn't ignore the reality of disparity, but he doesn't use it as a, as a standard of evaluation. Paul recognizes the same thing, by the way. He uh, notes that holding the faith uh, often doesn't change our circumstances, but it changes how we do things. Listen to this from Colossians 3. Um, bond servants, okay, let's just retranslate that. Hey, slaves! Uh, people with no rights, no ability, uh, you own nothing. I even own your socks, right? That's a slave. They don't get to make any decision. They just do what they're told. Hey, slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance, the promised kingdom, as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And then he says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Hey, with God, there's no partiality. This is the central sentence of the paragraph. Uh, the wrongdoer will be paid back for his wrong, and God is not partial. And so immediately, Paul says, So, masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. You're a slave, too, to Jesus. And so Paul's not like changing the whole culture. Slaves are slaves. Masters are still masters. But how, how you're a slave and how you're a master is changed. 
Everything is changed by when you're holding the faith, you can't do things the way that you used to. And so we hold the faith. Listen, the ground is level at the cross. Nobody, nobody deserves mercy. But in, through faith in Jesus Christ, anyone can have mercy. None of us belong here by any right, but every one of us belongs here through faith in Christ. The ground is level at the cross. So what about us? Are we evaluating correctly? Are we more interested in a person's spiritual condition or their material condition? Um, what, what, which one of these uh, outward um, evaluations, outward standards, do you tend to most gravitate to? And how far does it go? We're committed to loving Jesus and to being rich in faith. And that's the standard we want to use when we evaluate each other. Okay, well, let's keep going. You say, uh, how important is this? Um, Why shouldn't I kind of judge based on what I see? Isn't it like, look at what's in front of your eyes. Don't we have to do that sometimes? Well, okay, but um, we, uh, for the sake of Christ, hold your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ by examining correctly. The issue here goes straight to the most basic and foundational reality, much deeper than what we can see. Uh, Jesus said the whole law is summed up in the commands to love God and love others. So James says, if we're really living this way, loving others as ourselves, we're doing well. That's a good thing. Love God, love others. That's the royal law. That's the law of liberty. When we're doing that, we're doing well. But, but, if you show partiality, uh, you're committing sin. You become a transgressor of the law. Now, that seems to be pretty obvious. Lawbreakers are lawbreakers, no matter which law is broken, Right? Like if you're going off to jail um, because you're a lawbreaker and you say, hey, look, I know I stole the car, but I didn't kill anybody. Oh, 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 uh, well, then just walk on out because, you know, you didn't kill anybody. Uh, That's not going to happen. You're going to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 because you're a lawbreaker. Now, James sets this up. He goes to two laws uh, from the Ten Commandments. And uh, the the Ten Commandments are kind of broken into Godward laws. Uh, Don't have any other uh, gods before me. Don't make any idols. And then some are are, uh, more oriented towards others. Uh, Do not murder. uh, Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. And so James goes to two big ones. Like these are big, right? Like murder. There ain't no coming back from that one. Uh, and adultery, like, like uh, don't be doing that. So he picks these two big ones and, and he kind of says, hey, you know, uh, if you commit adultery but you don't murder, you're still a lawbreaker. I, I got news for you. Jesus kind of said, hey, if you hate somebody in your heart, oh, that's like murder. I'm a murderer. If you lust in your heart after someone, uh, that's adultery. I'm an adulterer. 
And James's point is not a, hey, you know, like, I know you're an adulterer, but at least you didn't kill anybody. Maybe I could say I haven't hated anyone in my heart. I haven't even murdered in my heart. But if I've lost it, um, I'm still a lawbreaker. And here's a point for you. Um, if you break one commandment, you're guilty of all. Uh, before the Lord, you might say like, hey, I, I think I'm good enough. I think when I get to heaven, you know, God will look at the good things I've done uh, versus the bad thing. I've done some bad things, but look at all the good things I've done. And uh, maybe he'll just say, you know, like, yeah, there's more of this. And so, yeah, uh, no, you're not coming in. You're a lawbreaker. Whoever's guilty of one point is guilty of all. You're a sinner. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You need a savior. You need the Lord of glory who lived a perfect life and died in your place and offers you forgiveness and mercy. So call on him today. We had a lady first service called on him and received Christ as her savior. You could do that right now, right where you are. Just call out to him. Say, I need you. I'm guilty. And James' point, by the way, is not if, if you're guilty of adultery but not murdered. Uh, one is not worse than the other. If you've broken a commandment, you're guilty. But here's James's point. Not that adultery is worse than murder. But that partiality is as bad as them both. Well, at least I haven't killed anybody. Yeah, but if you're showing partiality, if you're prejudiced, if that's the basis on which you're judging people's spirituality on some outward thing, you're guilty. And you need to repent of that. Well, what does James say we should do then? He says this, um, hold your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, by engaging compassionately. He says, show mercy. James focuses on our words and on our actions as those who will be judged. Every one of us is going to be judged by the royal law. Did I love God and did I love others? And we have none of us done that perfectly. But in 2020, I want to hold my faith more firmly. And I want to fulfill the royal law in the power of the Holy Spirit in a better way than I have. And I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm becoming more like Jesus Christ. If you want to be like God, be merciful. Because that's what God is. He's merciful to us. The thing about mercy is it's not deserved. Justice is what we deserve. Um, God gives us mercy. I saw a sign that said, Hey, karma, I have a list of people you missed. <laughs> karma isn't Christian. Mercy is Christian. All of us deserve karma. But what we get is mercy. Because God specializes in mercy. And so he says, hey, be merciful to each other. And so uh, let me tell you what mercy isn't. We live in a world that does not understand mercy. Uh, even though they use the term. And so uh, this is straight out of, um, you're not going to believe this, Mortal Kombat 2. Mortal Kombat, you know, like a video game. Like, okay, I won't ask for hands who's played this. Like, um, so here's mercy according to Mortal Kombat. A mercy is an all new move. Hey, you know, like we've just figured out our video game is a little too violent. So we're going to inject a little mercy. Okay, good. A mercy is a new move that can be performed at the end of a match where you would normally input a fatality. Well, that's nice. Instead, you can perform a button input to spare the opponent. This sounds good. 
This sounds good. And grant them back a bit of health. Why? So they can continue the fight, which you're already winning. Um, okay. Um, mercies don't necessarily give you any sort of an advantage. Oh, and they don't give your opponent an advantage. I'm just saying. A player might use it. Okay, here's mercy according to the world. A player might use it to humiliate an opponent that was soundly beaten to give them a second chance. That's not mercy. Or revive them in order to end the match with a brutality instead. Wow, that's... That ain't mercy. So what is mercy? Practical mercy is this. Um, To feed the hungry. To give drink to the thirsty. To clothe the naked. To give socks to somebody that needs it. Yeah. Um, To harbor the homeless. As a society, we got a lot of work to do to correct homelessness. We should be we should be on the forefront of trying to fix that deal. Um, to visit the sick, to visit people in prison, to ransom the captive, to pay off somebody's debt, and that'll cost you. Uh, how about this? Just to speak kindly to somebody or to speak kindly of somebody. Those are pretty practical ways of showing mercy. How about spiritual mercy? To instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to admonish the sinner. That's straight out of 1 Thessalonians 5.14. That's biblical soul care. That's what that is. We can all do that. Um, To bear wrongs patiently. To forgive offenses willingly. To comfort the afflicted. To pray for others. Benita Hampton writes this in a blog that she writes. For example, and she personifies mercy. All right? Uh, This is just like really practical. You want to be merciful? You want to be like God? Show mercy. Uh, For example, mercy gives you his seat on the bus, acting as if he was about to get up anyway, rather than making you feel like he's doing you a favor. Mercy does not let out that sigh. You know the one, the wordless disapproval toward the person in the checkout line ahead of you whose card didn't swipe or who can't find her coupons or whose toddler is having a meltdown. True confession. Value Village. This week. I'm in line. One person ahead of me. Like five people went through the other checkout while she's looking for her thing. No mercy. No mercy. Sorry. I'm sorry to tell you that. Mercy offers quiet sympathy and does not convey with her body language that this holdup is ruining his, sorry, her day. Sometimes mercy chooses not to send back the food that isn't just right simply because the waitress looks overwhelmed. When mercy has been wronged, the offended one does not make it difficult for the offender to apologize or ask forgiveness. In fact, mercy does not wait for the other's action, but forgives so quickly that the person needing forgiveness is freer to ask for it. Likewise, at work, at home, or in the classroom, mercy creates an atmosphere in which a person feels safe enough to admit his mistake or ask a question. And if mercy must correct someone, it pains her to do it, and she does so gently 
without vindictive relish. Mercy makes a habit of giving others the benefit of the doubt. Mercy is not in the habit of sending deadly glares at people who are annoying. I used to get those daggers. Mercy gives charitably, knowing that eventually someone will take advantage of your generosity. Mercy welcomes you, fully aware that this act may disrupt their own plans. Mercy relinquishes control when doing so allows another person to grow and learn. Mercy makes it his business to help others succeed. Mercy clears the way for others so they can walk on an even path no matter how halting their steps or injured their souls. Listen, this is important. In all these situations, mercy treats power as a sacred trust. I can be merciful because I have some sort of power, the means to affect another's life. If only for a moment, I act mercifully when I use my power to do kindness in this world. Mark DeHaan of um, Our Daily Bread said, most of the hurt in this world is done by someone who could have done better. So that's showing mercy. So receive one another in Christ. Listen, what's the standard of evaluation? It's how much I love Jesus and whether I'm rich in faith. It's not some outward standard. So receive one another. Receive one another um, without being inconsistent. Judges of evil thoughts. Receive one another without being immoral. A transgressor of the law. Receive one another without being inconsiderate. Without mercy. Because the mercy that we show is the mercy that will be shown. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your great mercy to us. Father, we confess that uh, we are so often uh, prone to use the wrong standard in evaluating other people. Uh, Father, some are just so obvious, glaring actually, and yet so wrong. Father, I pray that you will help us in 2020 to be more fully committed to holding the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, consistently. Father, I pray that you give us a heart that uh, pursues you and seeks you, the King of glory, with a greater passion, a greater desire to love you, a greater desire to grow in our faith. And Father, help us to receive one another and encourage one another in doing these things. Father, forgive us because our hearts have been focused on the wrong kinds of things and it comes out in the way we evaluate how well we're doing. Father, you look at our hearts and you long for us just to turn to you in repentance and faith. So, Father, would you help us to do that? Would you help 2020 to be a year when um, we grow, where we grow in our love for you and, and how we express it to others? Would you help us to grow in mercy? Father, would you help us to recognize the disparities that exist and seek to address them out of love for you and love for others? Help us, we pray. In the name of our Savior, the King of glory, Jesus Christ. Amen.